welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletics. Today on the show, Matthew Penny is in the building. We're doing a quick 2022 NBA draft recap today. As you can tell, like, there's color back in my skin now, <laughs> but my eyes are still sunken back into, like, my brain. Mm. Uh, you know, Penny, you look well-rested as always. Just oh, that, I'm not. I'm not. That yeah. alabaster skin, the Ed Helms haircut. We're, yeah. we're rolling. What's up, Ben? You look like you got a haircut, or at least brushed it, or you like came out of the draft wind tunnel and you're good. Uh, I, I got a little color. I was at the beach today for a few hours. The funny thing about kids and the funny thing about the draft is they don't care. So I was still up like super early the next morning, uh, right. super early the next morning after that. So I haven't really officially caught up yet. That first day, though, after the draft, that it kind of hurt. Like I sat on the couch for like an hour, just like not moving. I was like on my phone. I'm like, it's been an hour and I haven't really done anything. So uh, the legs are getting there. We're, we're getting back under ourselves. We had a few workouts, not a hundred percent, but uh, on the pathway to getting back to hundred percent. Yeah, no, I've tried to do a couple workouts. My body still has not uh, responded to the workout <laughs> yet. Uh, the day after the draft, like I had to go to the mall. It's end of financial year here in Australia, which means there are all these sales that are happening. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you buy things and break them off on your taxes. So this laptop that I'm recording on is still the old laptop, but I went and bought a new laptop because uh, this laptop is 10 years old that I'm using. So I went and did that. And then afterward, Laura and I went to a netball game here. Shout out to Melbourne Vixens going to the final in the Suncorp Super Netball League. One of the most fun games I've ever been to in my life for any sport Uh, like a 10-point comeback in the fourth quarter, buzzer beater, like winner, all this stuff. So like that was even exhausting. Like on the night where I was like trying to relax, it was still just like an emotional, like exhausting thing that kept happening. Uh, So then yesterday I watched three movies. (laughs) There there we are. (laughs) I love how it's exhausting. Like I sat in that chair, I was pounding pretzels, three light beers. I am pooped. That was was a life choice and decision. So I'm glad you, you got your movie fix in too. God, it, was unbe- it, was un- it was unbelievable. Like the last few episodes, like what have you watched on TV? I rattle off a few things. Like I haven't watched anything. Like this is a broken man right now that we have to piece back together. And it, it's happened now. Uh, three, four days post draft. No, it is. It has already happened. I, yeah, I have watched three movies that just came out in 2022. We'll talk about them at the end, uh, including something that is just like guaranteed to be one of my three favorite movies of the year. It's, perfect it's the off season um, officially eh, it's not the off season yet because Kyrie is back on his bullshit but uh we will uh we will we will see how it goes oh that's that's the Boston in you Penny <laughs> you know uh, okay okay so we're gonna talk Paulo we're gonna talk chat we're gonna talk winners and losers we're gonna talk uh just some of the picks that we liked some of the picks we didn't like in the second round and you know the Guys that, you know, went undrafted maybe a little bit. We want to talk draft pathways as well. Just, you know, overtime elite still nobody has been drafted from there. And, uh, you know, the Ignite program, I don't know how they would classify this year in terms of success or failure. We'll talk about that. Um, and then we also want to talk about just guys like Pat Baldwin and Peyton Watson and you know some of the surprises. David Roddy, you know, again, is fascinating to me for a number of reasons. Like we're, we're going to dive deep into all of that. But let's start at the top of the 2022 NBA draft. Matthew Penny, you have done intrepid 
reporterly work Oof. into this. A little bit. By that, please, bit. for the love of God, do not aggregate this. We are not like this. Matt knows some things, but like, and I know some things too, but like God, we're, we're not like serious when we say that. Amongst friends. Yeah. Okay. Penny. Uh, Paula, when Paula goes no, number one, like what is your immediate thought? Uh, surprise. Shock. Ah. Uh, yeah. Despite the the Vegas lines, I thought it was like somebody weird set like a, a bad bet and the motherboard went nuts, but they were right, which is just completely insane to me that Vegas scooped everybody. V- Vegas scooped Woj, which which doesn't really happen. And which, then it like unscooped the way, and like, scooped and it was it was yeah. just all the scoops. So so Ben, I believe Ben Folks over at Vison, uh Ben Fox over at Vison wrote uh, about this and the first surge on Paulo, it would seem was essentially just value based. Like they thought Paulo at 12 to one was way too high and it got bet down. And, and that this was Sunday going into Monday of draft week. It just got bet down. Like it was not a situation where there was inside intelligence apparently. Now, I'm a little bit skeptical on the second surge where Paulo yeah. became uh, the favorite on Wednesday going into Thursday morning. And then Woj tweets that it's Jabari Smith at, you know, Jabari Smith, Chet Holmgren, Paulo Bancaro, one, two, three is still the anticipation. Uh, I, and then the, the market obviously reacts to that. And it's Jabari Smith at minus 900, I think going into seven fifteen uh before the draft so 40 minutes before the draft it's just it's it's nuts like i do wonder if someone found something out the second time the wednesday going into thursday surge that made paulo the favorite before the woge tweet that made jabari like the minus 900 favorite and paulo was plus 2600 like a month ago we were all dumb we should just bet on the top three guys why wouldn't we do that Anyway, so for Paulo Bancaro, for his his camp and uh, his representation, they didn't know what was happening until 7.40 that night and had final confirmation yeah. about like 7.50, 7.53. He did not visit Orlando. He did not work out for Orlando. He met them once for an interview in Chicago, then did a follow-up call or Zoom or something along like the lines of that. And it just takes such stones by the Orlando Magic that they kept their move so close to the vest. They believed enough in the tape that he was going to be their guy. Was him not going there part of the plan? Some elaborate smokescreen? Maybe. Who knows? Was it to leverage for more picks and he was still their guy and they'd go down at two or three? Maybe. Who knows? I find it interesting, though. This is also the second time in as many years that the Magic have drafted a play in the lottery that did not work out for them prior to being drafted. He joins Jalen Suggs in 2021 because Suggs kind of fell into a lap, slid a little bit. So I, I went back, and, and on the broadcast, now knowing what we know about the behind the scenes, it was this cool, surreal moment between Paolo and his draft table when his name was called, and he was like legitimately surprised. He knew 10 minutes before that, but still, it's like, I can't believe I'm going first. They weren't necessarily prepared for that, and you can see the surprise on his face, and even when he's shaking the commissioner's hand, giving him a hug, taking a picture, that he he can't believe it. He's, he's just like in, in shock, and people close to the situation tell me the day before the draft, Chet Holmgren and Jabari Smith Jr. and all the people around them, they were just as much in the dark as we were. Uh, apparently not the betters in Vegas who adjusted lines like that. So thank you for the drama. Thank you for the theater. And this is why I love the NBA draft so much. As much as you think you're prepared <laughs> and we say there's not going to be too many surprises, we at least had a huge surprise go first overall for Paul Bancaro to the Orlando Magic. 
Yeah, and I kind of want to talk about the lack of surprises throughout the rest of the draft later on. But the, we got the biggest one. Like that's the coolest thing in the it's world awesome. to me. Yeah. That, like Orlando is able to keep this thing quiet. And I look, I've seen some people in the you know days following saying they don't understand why Orlando felt the need to keep this as secretive as they did. Like, were they playing four dimensional chess when, you know, a normal game of chess will suffice. Right. (laughs) And look, I think it's valuable to keep your intention secretive at the end of the day. I really do. Uh, I, I think that other teams not knowing what's going on is an institutional advantage for you. Now, the reason for that is you never know what the other teams are going to want until you get the intel on who they want. Uh, it seemed like in throughout the course of draft week, the week before draft week, Houston was pretty set on Paulo, which meant that if they moved up to one, they were going to take Paulo. If Orlando by that point decided that Paulo was not their guy or was their guy, then Houston, they had to stay ahead of Houston basically. And then with Oklahoma City, was it possible for them to move back from one to two to pick up additional assets? Probably not. It seemed like Oklahoma City was just pretty set on chat and they felt pretty good that Orlando was not going to take chat at the end of the day. So, yeah, I I think that had the circumstances been a bit different and Houston, for instance, maybe would have liked Jabari Smith more or Oklahoma City would have liked uh, Jabari Smith more, there would have been a real advantage to sliding down the board and picking up an additional asset in large part because nobody would have known what you were doing. It just ended up in this circumstance that there was an even top three. Houston had evaluated the same guy that Orlando did to be the best guy, it seems like. And then Oklahoma City knew that both Houston and I don't know if they knew Orlando liked. Uh, I don't know if they knew Orlando liked Paulo or Jabari Smith, but it felt like Oklahoma City felt pretty good that Chet was going to fall to them at two. And because of that, there was no value to be had. But this could have gone a different way and there could have been value to be had, which is why there is value in keeping it secret up until the moment where it goes public. I don't think it really benefits you to have it out there unless it's a, yeah. a leak to throw everybody else off the scent. You're not great. So they know what you're doing at one. You take away any leverage you have on maybe a free agent or another pick you're trying to get out of it. And one thing, too. I didn't project Paolo going first. I think very few, if anyone did. There hasn't been much of a backlash for him going first in the media. It's not getting blown up like, oh, yeah. the pick was Jabari. It should have been Jet. People have just collectively shrugged and said, yeah, he's really good. Like, I get it. I understand. Like, first yeah. pick overall. It, it wasn't one of these things where Anthony Bennett gets read first and people are like, oh, my gosh. Wow, how did how did he go first? Like, the, right. he's not, Paolo's a really good player and, and had an incredible is, season yeah, like, and, and run to the end of the year. And is right there in that in that first tier. So there right. wasn't just this outcry from basketball people that like Orlando missed. They liked their guy. They honed in. They kept it quiet and ultimately got their man first. Yeah, and that's exactly what we talked about, you know, in the week leading up. Like these guys are all equal. 
Like they're all so close. You can make a case for all three of them. The fact that me, Jeremy Wu, John Cavoni, John Wasserman, X, Y, and Z, right? We basically all had it as Jabari going one. Mm-hmm. I felt pretty bad about that. Like I, I didn't love the fact that we all had that, but like also the Intel is the Intel at the end mm. of the day. Right. And like y- you base it off of what you've been told by, you know, agencies, by, you know, people in the NBA, various different people surrounding it, etc. Right. So the fact that all of it was consensus. One, two, three, Jabari Smith, Chet Holmgren, Paula Bancaro, and all of the mock drafts that you saw that are, you know, relevant and everything, right? Like these are, I felt bad about that, I guess is what I would say, because I felt like consumers were not getting a real picture of how close this was two teams that actually had to go through the process themselves. We, we did everything we could here. Uh, we tried so hard. We tried so hard. Especially down the stretch, but go, go back if you want to do the cold takes exposed or whatever. I had all three guys at one throughout the year. Say yeah. it's a huge cop-out, you idiot. Uh, sure, I'll own it. But I, I started with Paulo. Uh, I went and saw Jabari. That probably clouded me because I actually saw him in person shooting over the top of guys. Okay, he's number one. Uh, and then I settled on Chet. It was like even – so I think before the season I had Chet, I watched some Paolo. I said, ooh, Chet's not ready. Paolo, Jabari, then back to Chet. And I've been in pro Chet for, I don't know, a few months here now. But it's not it's not a crazy difference between the guys. It is how they play and their their style of play. But in terms of pure talent, and we've also shortchanged Paolo a little bit saying like he's the, the most far ahead of these guys, so he doesn't have more to go. I think he does have more to go. Does, yeah, does he have as much to go as Jabari Smith? We haven't seen as much off the dribble creation with the, aside from that like one dribble left, spin back jumper. We haven't seen Chet be able to play through contacts. We just assume it's there. Well, Paul's done a lot of things well, but only shoots 34% from three. That goes up. Yeah. He removes that hesitancy. He moves his feet better in space. Why can't his ceiling be the highest? So I, I'd also... Yeah. He goes number one. It's like, guys, ah, productive, but he's not going to get there. He could get there to the same place that, that Jabari and Chet could. I, I value Chet and Jabari more than him, and I, I did have Jaden Ivey ahead of him too. But for Orlando, I, I get it. If you think this is going to be the top shot-creating scorer, best guy to build around to be a playoff team and winning playoff series, then you take them, and, they, and they've trusted their evaluations throughout the process. Yep, that's totally right. Let's go to the second two teams here, the Oklahoma city thunder and the Houston Rockets. It just seems like Oklahoma city like was settled on chat for reasons that I felt like I talked about uh, on the post draft show. If you want to go listen to that, I think that he's just like such a perfect fit for the way Oklahoma city is one to play under Mark Dagnalt. Uh, I, it just seems like all parties there were like, let's get Chet to Oklahoma city. It's the perfect fit. It will allow him to come along slowly uh, it's a perfect fit in terms of style of play and everyone just kind of was very happy with the result there. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I listened to the Sam Presti introductory press conference of these guys. They, they asked about Chet. They asked about Oklahoma City's process and he said what stood out to him the most was they went and watched him practice and kind of spent a day around it. They want to see how he interacted with his teammates because you're this much heralded freshman that's younger. It, it's a veteran group and how are you within those guys and them kind of knowing like he's a top three pick, he's going to be here for a few months and take off. And 
the number one thing they said was he belonged. He looked like he was just one of the guys out there. And then he played. And I was like, ooh, this this guy can like actually go and he'll play within the team construct. He'll throw it in the post to to Drew Timmy. He'll cut away. He'll set his screens. But he knew like those moments where he's actually able to show like the fully actualized Chet. Oklahoma City knew if they put their arms around it and made it more that than opposed to the complimentary piece, they potentially had a star on their hands. And that's why it looked like he was at the top of their board. If they had one, two, three, they were taking Chet homeward. Yeah. And look, at the end of the day, you and I both had Chet at number one. Uh, We really believe in him. We believe in the human being. I think that's what it comes down to for the two of us. Like, we genuinely just believe in that motherfucker. Like, we <laughs> and, I, and I hope and our, and our boy, Andrew Schlecht was uh, at me today and, and asked him something about like his weight. And uh, are you tired of hearing about the muscle and putting on weight? And Chet said something like a good answer. It was like two minutes. It's like, I don't really pay attention to those talk shows that have nothing else to say. I hope we weren't one of those talk shows because like, I, I don't want to be that guy. I don't be looped into this. I think we've been beyond kind and, and believers that Chet's body is going to fill out. and It's not going to be as much of an issue as made out to be. Yeah, no, I, it might be an issue, but he's going to get the absolute most out of it, whatever it is. Like, I have I have zero doubts in that human being at the end of the day. Like, right. whatever whatever he can do to fix it, he's going to fix it. Maybe he doesn't have it in him, but I'd rather bet on the guy that I know is going to do every single thing imaginable, possible, point-blank period in order to make it happen. Because, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you're betting on humans here. And when you're having to draft teenagers, 19-year-olds, 20-year-olds, in Keegan Murray's case, 21-year-olds, these guys are unfinished products. They're unfinished human beings. Uh, And it's it's tough, I think. So let's go to number three with Houston. I I think that Houston probably is a little bit surprised by this, like at the last minute. Um, They certainly had contingencies, I'm sure. But I would imagine they were the one that, came off most uh, most surprised at the end of the day. Most surprised and maybe still like the best fit. And that's why I, I think Houston is one of the winners of the draft beyond the, the Tari Eason pairing too, is that I love this pick becomes just cleaner because the, the two guys yeah. off the board ahead of them and it made the decision for them in a sense. But Jabari Smith is a catch-and-shoot, defensively versatile forward that fits with Alfred Shangun. Then also fits in the front court with Tari Eason. Had a Ben Paolo who shot 34% from the college three. It just, it's a little murkier. Paolo is going to get his buckets. However, those much needed Jalen Green and KPJ driving lanes become a lot more congested. So I don't know if Houston was probably like setting up their offense and in their head believing what Paolo Bancaro would look like within their personal team constructs. You have to right. throw all that stuff out the window. But it's not completely back to the drawing board because the main strength of Jabari Smith is shooting, it's floor spacing, it's stretching it out. And that's something that their backcourt needs desperately too. Right. And in the case of Orlando looking at Paulo Bancaro and the fit there, I mean, we haven't really talked about Jalen Suggs all that much. You and I both love Jalen Suggs. Like we're huge fans of his and think he's going to be a stud. Like this is the kind of thing that can really – help Jalen Suggs be brought along at the end of the day, having a guy that can be a legit pick and roll partner. They can hopefully use Wendell Carter as like a floor spacer in the corners. They can, you know, run these one, four ball screens with Jalen Suggs to, or, you know, two, four, whatever position you want to call Jalen. 
and it's going to be really hard. If you drop him, Jalen can kind of turn the corner. He can throw it back to Paulo, who can pick and pop. If you switch it, I mean, good luck trying to stay in front of Jalen Suggs. Like, it's it's kind of it. And, and, and then Paulo's going to murder switches. So, like, it, it's just – it's hard. It, 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 it For all of the advantages we talked about with Jalen Green, and Jalen Green's a little bit more complete offensively right now than Jalen Suggs is, obviously. Uh, it's going to boost Jalen Suggs' development along uh, in just as much of a way as it would have boosted Jalen Green's. And think, too, the one thing I'll add with Orlando is think of Franz Wagner in that Michigan-y type role off the ball in the corner with those sneaky back cuts, putbacks, the short rolls into touches going somewhere else. You'll have to pick how you defend that. But, yeah, if it's a switch and then Suggs going downhill, you hit Wagner, he makes good plays off the dribble, they become a lot more interesting watch, too, in Orlando. Yeah, no, that's totally right. Uh, Okay, let's get out of the top three. We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP, hackers, and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, For instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla Minus One recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan. And you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon Prime or something to be able to watch it. So when I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. NordVPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to nordvpn.com slash game theory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y, to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash game theory to claim your account. nordvpn.com slash game theory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory. Let's talk winners and losers. What teams do you think did the best on draft night? Give me one. The the easy one is Detroit, Detroit Pistons. 
Okay. You know, that's, that's, that's far and away the first. With getting Jaden Ivey where they did, uh, I never thought he'd get out of the top four. And for him to get fifth, if you told Detroit that somehow you end up with Jaden Ivey, and <laughs> I've had a few people reach out to me and be like, hey, show is great. Draft show is great. That Jalen Durham pick was a mess. I said, yes, tell the people who are reporting it because we were trying to like figure it out yeah. as as they were. Uh, I know he's a piston now, so I, I apologize if we talked too much on the Knicks there. I love the idea of Jaden Ivey, Cade Cunningham, Jalen Dern, and that's sort of your young core with Sadiq Bay. I think I just read they're picking up Hamadou Diallo's option or whatever. But then it saves all the money. If you want to go out and get DeAndre Ayton in free agency, great. If not, you have the the rim running, lob catching, Jalen Duran, uh, the just the change of pace and change of speed that Jay Nive is going to give that team from day one, even if the jumper is not quite there yet, like we don't have to get nitpicky for Cade Cunningham to be able to reverse the ball and know that Jaden Nive can boogie and at least create scrambles and switches and these advantageous things and get the court tilted. And then you can hit in the corner and then you have to close out hard to seek Bay and then he can drive and you have Jalen during the dunker spot. They got better immediately, which is, the fits don't always like become the, the best one from the, immediate get-go i felt that way from Jaden ivy making them better from the first time he laced up his shoes to play summer league yeah no i agree with that and you know we've talked about i've talked about the Jaden ivy fit with Cade ad nauseum i don't know that we need to do it but we should talk about jalen duran uh quite a bit more given that we didn't talk about it on sorry night i'm sorry i'm sorry uh look we tried, yeah we i mean we, we really tried we had to move on at a certain point like the thing's coming too fast you know it, it just gets crazy uh the Jalen Duran thing is interesting, if only because the day before they traded Jeremy Grant, an hour at the Athletic, James Edwards reported, they're going to be players for DeAndre Ayton. And there's no way that you can draft Jalen Duran, give up assets for him, and then go and give DeAndre Ayton a max contract. So it was interesting to me. We knew that they liked Jalen Duran going in. That had been not like clear, clear, but it seemed like – uh, Troy Weaver was a fan of Jalen yes. Duran going into the draft. Uh, they did well to get him. It only cost like taking on Kemba Walker's deal basically. And then like a future first round pick they acquired for Jeremy Grant. Like I, I think they did very, very well here to get Jalen Duran and use that Jeremy Grant pick essentially to guarantee themselves a lottery pick at the end of the day by taking on the Kemba Walker deal that doesn't really impact all that much flexibility for them. And they look like geniuses because if you had the second pick and the sixth pick and, and you used all the stuff to get there, but they did it to get up, you know, to, where did Jalen like actually get drafted? Was it 11th? 13th. So he's, he's 13th. So even better. Like you get him at 13 where you have him on, yeah, 13 of the horns. You have him on your board in the top five or six. That There's incredible just, you feel like you win based on the draft position, based on what your board was too. Yeah. Like, the talk before the draft was, oh, there's no way they're going to get number seven for Jeremy Grant, right? There's no way that Portland is going to move that pick, move that number seven right. pick for Jeremy Grant. Here's the thing. All they have to do is take on Kemba Walker, and I would imagine that they feel like they got value. They got the same player they were going to take at number seven for Jeremy Grant at number 13. So they essentially got the exact pick that they wanted in the Jeremy Grant deal just by moving it and like forwarding along to a third party, essentially it, it was brilliant. Like, I thought it was very, That's very great. smart. 
yeah. from Troy Weaver. Like if you look at it in the bigger context of the entire thing that they did, I thought it was remarkably impressive the way that they figured it out. You know, w- whether or not you and I are high on Jalen Duran, I would imagine Troy Weaver's a little bit higher on him. It- it's undeniably genius the way that they went out and got their guy using the asset that they had in Jeremy Grant. Yeah, and just the, the offense changes too. It's You're able to add and, and save all that money in free agency if you don't want to go out and spend it. You, you have a, a young guy or, or two, and if you want to just take it along slowly and not sign any more veterans and still be bad, these guys will get a lot of reps and they'll improve with time. Jalen Duran is supposed to be a freshman in college. He reclassified up. He hasn't turned 19 until November. He is his best basketball ahead of him too. If he fixes his feet a little bit, fixes defensively, the switches, we pull out the perimeter a little smarter with his fouls, a little bit more polish, but he's going to play hopefully hard. Like the motor stays on and they get him revved up and down. If yeah. he's blocking shots and, and throwing outlet passes, then trailing the play, and here he comes, and Jay Nivey's doing that little scoop back pass to him, and he's ripping down the rim. That, there's a lot of value in, in drafting a starting center 13th when he didn't have to give up a, top, a ton of it for him. Yeah, and that's the other thing, too. He is so set up for success right now with Jaden Ivey and Kate Cunningham. Like, uh, undeniably, like those guys are going to feed him. At the end of the day, he is going to be he played with zero point guards this year at Memphis. And now he's going to play with two and actually yeah. feed him the ball. And it's really valuable. It's, it's going to be a really it, as good as Jalen Duran can be. Jalen Duran is in a position now to reach what his ceiling can be, I think, in a real tangible way moving forward. Uh, look, we have to talk about Houston like. You have to Houston is a winner here. They yes. were phenomenal. Like they get three of my top 14 players, three of my lottery guys for the second straight year. And yeah, you know, the, the first Move year on. went okay on that. Uh, the second year though, uh, will hopefully be a three for three hit. Uh, Tari Eason, you know, I've been high on Tari throughout the process. I think he is one of the most impactful defenders in this draft class. I think that, Houston is even going to be able to play small with him and Jabari at the four or five. I think he's legit strong enough to guard like some fives at the end of the day. Uh, I think he can actually hold up and then you can slide Jabari off at the four and let him use his length to kind of wreak havoc in the way that he's capable of. Uh, obviously having those two guys in the front court, if they both hit will allow you to uh, insulate Alper and Shangun in a real tangible way. Uh, yeah, I-, I love it. I think that all of this made sense for them. And on top of it, they got Ty Ty Washington at 29. Yeah. And by the way, they picked up, I think two, t- uh, two second round picks to move down from 26 to 29 to pick up Ty Ty Washington, who, as I said on the draft show, uh, live show that while we were talking at number 17, I'm like, I feel pretty good that they probably had Tari Eason, Ty Ty Washington is their top two options at 17. And they ended up taking Tari and they were able to wait and they ended up getting Ty Ty in the first round. The Ty Ty progression and story and timeline for the last 14 months, like kind of nuts when you think about it. He was committed to Creighton. He decommits. He has a great season in kind of the background of high school. Commits to Kentucky, becomes like a top 30-ish kid. Preseason, he was like 15th, 20th, has a couple good games. We bump him up to like 7th, bump him down to 30th. We settle at like the 20s. He ends up at 29. Oh, let's be clear here. You bump him down to 30th. I I was a believer. 
I know, I you was... are, but but that's sort of the point I'm trying to make here. <laughs> How did we get here where he actually ended up at tw- who who cares? I had him 29th or 30th. I ended up with him at like 24th. Was this yeah. as like kind of non-linear of a draft a graph, I guess, of a guy's yeah. actual status yeah. that you can remember that we still then you probably more than me think that he can be a contributor, a really good pick, but he goes 29th and not maybe ninth where we thought because think about it, like when the year started. Jalen Dern was first. All right, we quickly learned that was too much. But Ty Ty was like, take the injury aside. Every three games, I kind of changed what tier I had him in. As I search for who's the top league guard in the class, and so it, it's been really, um, really all over the place. Well, why that is is that the Kentucky fit was so bad. It was so bad for him to succeed. He had to play next to Severe Wheeler. He had to play next to Oscar Shibway. He had to play next to Keon Brooks and Jacob Toppin at the four. Like. They had one shooter. The the most shooters they had out there with Ty Ty at once was two. It'd be Davion Mintz and Kellen Grady. Uh, there was never a time where he had more than that out there. In the NBA, in Houston, he's going to have five guys out there who can shoot. Like It's going to be him, and it's going to be four other guys, or it's going to be him and Alper and Shangoon and three other guys. And Shangoon is so good with the ball in his hands on the perimeter that you actually have to push up and guard him on the perimeter – Otherwise, he's going to hit you because you have to close down the passing angles. So the court is going to be so much more well-spaced for him. He brings out a lot of the skills in terms of processing the game, in terms of making high-level reads quickly that Jalen Green is still working on uh, right now. Like Jalen Green, for the most part, is, okay, I'm going to take a ball screen or I'm going to be you know on a wing. I'm going to attack closeout. I'm going to be, you know, catching a second side kick out, maybe uh, getting in isolation, attacking, right? Uh, not a crazy passer. I think he got a little bit better at passing throughout the year. I Like, I think he's going to be okay as a playmaker for a primary scorer, but that's going to be his role. He's going to be the primary scorer who makes quick decisions and probably has the ball in his hands a little bit more. I think Ty Ty is going to be able to feed off of that in a real way. I think he's going to be, I, I think that like this is another Kentucky guard that we look at went way too low. We're going to look up and he's going to be the you know 14th best player in this draft. Okay. Whenever I thought you were going to say like, hey, there's Tyrese Maxey 2.0. We should have taken him sixth. No, he's it, not that because he's, he's not that athletic. But Exactly. Like, and, and that's yeah. like the blend. You have the blend of Jalen Green's super athleticism and Ty Ty's more of a paced game. So even though it's going to be spaced out, he doesn't have that blinding first step or burst. He wants yeah. to take mid-range jumpers. So it's still going to have to be a screen, but it helps when Jalen Green's beating the first guy. Someone's recovering to you. Here's a ball screen. So like that makes your first step better because someone else like took that one for you. So so that works with yeah. the piece around him, and then having those shooters spread out and, and not playing so much of a combo guard or a two guard when he really should have been on the ball more. Yeah, twenty nine. I, I like that pick. Should we talk about what Oklahoma City did here? Uh, moved yeah. three first round picks for Usman Jang. They then stay at 12 and draft Jalen Williams, who was like clearly the late riser of this draft. And I had him at 14 on the last mock. I had texted you and our mutual friend, uh, you know, what, a couple hours before the draft and said, I don't think he's going, he's going to get to 14, mm-hmm. to be honest. Just because I thought that someone would jump the Cavs, because I think that it was pretty clear the Cavs, uh, their list I thought was Jang, Jalen Williams, and uh, Ochai. So, I kind of thought that someone would try to jump them and 
Oklahoma City sort of did because they jumped for Usman and, you know, made it so they stayed and had the extra pick for Jalen. Uh, what, what was your thought on those final two Houston or Oklahoma City picks in the first round that were a bit strange, just like a bit, uh, a bit off the beaten path from certainly where you and I have those guys? I don't know about ranks, but like, you know, certainly with Usman, like we weren't quite as high as giving up three first round picks for Usman Jang. I wasn't for Usman. I have him about 20th. For Jalen Williams, I think I had 15th or 16th, but like I get it and, and I liken it to have to do it. Josh Primo last year. Did the Spurs want to take him as high as they did? No, but they knew got yeah. teams three, four spots below. We're forcing their hand that like if we're going to do this, we got to do now. So for Jalen Williams, if that's your guy, Usman Jang, if that's your guy, you have these assets. You have all these picks. Empty the clip. If it's going to take three not three lottery yeah. protected picks to get the guy that you believe in, I wouldn't have done it necessarily for Usman Jang. But if that's what it takes, then then these are why the reasons you do the trades. You want to get better in the draft. If you love them, go do it. You're not going to get better sitting on the sidelines and waiting and, and picking 26. If you can get up there and take three guys in, in the lottery, then then more power to you. They want to build around length. Uh, they want to build around IQ. They love the the late riser of Jalen Williams. Also in that press conference, Sam Presti admitted, said he really wasn't on our radar as much as all these other guys, but he beat down the door in the process. He was awesome at Santa Clara. He was awesome at pre-draft. He came and crushed all his individual workouts. That's how you get noticed, a, a late riser with a chip on his shoulder. And they love Jalen Williams so much, they drafted another one. They took two Jalen Williams. That's how enamored they were with him as a prospect. They had to take the guy at Arkansas, too, uh, which is amazing because I looked this up, and they did the Spider-Man like meme to each other without yeah. like point, pointing back and forth. The best. Is that uh, one goes by – so Jalen Williams from Santa Clara goes by J-Dub. Jalen Williams yeah. from Arkansas goes by J-Will. So have fun with that media out there. Uh, in short, I like the way that Oklahoma City is building – they're believing in whatever process they've kind of created and get the prospects and, and use the picks to, to get those guys that, that you have at the top of your board. Well, and I think at the end of the day, it's something that we talked about, I think on the draft show, I can't remember if we talked about it on the draft show or if I wrote about it afterward, all of that blends together now, <laughs> but Oklahoma city is clearly building around this idea of the intersection of positional size and skill. Uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander is a six foot six point guard. Josh Giddy is a six foot nine guard, Guard-ish, basically, yeah. um, who's like an incredible processor of the game and elite level passer. Uh, Jalen Williams is six foot six with seven foot two wingspan, can dribble, pass, shoot, came up as a lead guard. Uh, Usman Jang is six foot nine, six foot ten, and he is a essentially like point forward and he's a passer. He has all these skills as a playmaker with the ball in his hands. Obviously Chet is, you know, all seven that, foot tall. whatever you just said. Yeah. He's all he's of a, what all, we said. All the above. The yeah. Degree. All the boxes. I'll yeah. check all that apply. Keep checking. That's who he is. Yeah. So it's just very clear what they're building around now. And I think it's fucking brilliant. Like it's not, it's not like this unbelievable concept, right? It's not this like, Oh my God, it's, it's so crazy. They're just drafting the big tall guys with skill who can like shoot and score and pass and dribble. Right. But when you actually go about it, utilizing the assets that you have at your disposal, 
just taking those guys, utilizing those assets, thinking those guys are going to hit, or you know, if those guys hit, they're going to hit bigger than other guys do. I think it's incredibly fucking smart. Uh, and really very few other teams have done this yet at this point. Like I would say Boston kind of, but not really like even Jalen Williams to an extent in the second round from Arkansas, like six foot 10 can dribble pass. And some people think he can shoot Jalen Williams from Arkansas, certainly being one of them thinking that he can shoot. Uh, So they're just using every asset at their disposal to get these guys that they strongly believe have this type of skill in their game, have this type of, uh, have this type of skill set, have this type of toolbox and they're going from there. And I I love it. I love absolutely every second of it. Was Oklahoma city so in on Chet, like so in, that they saw Santa Clara because they're watching Chad like ooh take take Jalen Williams. <laughs> Did they watch the Arkansas game in the tournament like take take that Jalen Williams too? Were they just like so singularly focused on on full Chet that like you had had to take all the the pieces there? That was too. a good. That was a good. Jaylen I, it just started game spinning. I was like, Whoa, I, I, don't, I don't know what's yeah. going on here. Uh, I'd like to mention one more team. Can we talk one more kind of winner. Yeah, of course. Here? Yeah, yeah. I want to go with the San Antonio Spurs because similar to your Houston thing about three guys in your top 14 i had three guys in my top 18 in jeremy sohan malachi brandon blake wesley so you're getting younger you're adding shot creators they're all 19 years old or so josh primo is four months older than that crew just to kind of frame like the age thing but i like that beyond just the hall on draft night is it gives you this built-in contingency plan for two danglers they have in a roster with Jakob purtle Entering free agency in a year, Jeremy Sohan can play next to him right now, or if he goes away, he can play the five. You have some length out there. You can move some pieces. Uh, DeZonte Murray, he was mentioned in like some trade talks. Whether that's real or not, now you have three guys that are there too. What are you laughing at? You're getting so close on DeJounte Murray's oh, name. God. I thought I was there, man. I was like, every it's, it's one like little silver. You're getting so no close. DeZonte, DeZonte, DeZonte. Uh, but he, if he's traded, right? If he's not traded, you, you now have three guys right there that you plug and play. You don't have to redraft. You don't have to sign anybody to free agency. You get younger, get some assets. Uh, yeah, that's all I got. I thought I did well. Yeah, no, I, I look, I was a little bit lower on Wesley and Branham than you were, but same tier at the end of the day, right? And I actually think that for San Antonio, these are guys that they have had success developing their types in the past, right? Uh, Blake Wesley is a crazy shot creator athlete who really needs to learn to shoot. Spurs have had great success teaching guys to shoot on some level and like getting the most out of that. Malachi Branham needs to extend his range out. The Spurs have had really good uh, success, for instance, expanding Kelton Johnson's range out. Uh, Jeremy Sohan, like I just totally believe in that guy. And I'm really glad he went to like a very competent organization that will develop him because I think that he is going to be a very, very good player. Um, do you have any losers here? It, it's, I think it's too early to say losers. The perceived I don't like losers, doing losers. I don't either. Yeah, Cause I, I there's, there's differences. And, and I, I talked about this last week. The Kings, I, I love Keegan Murray, so I'm not going to say they're a loser. I, I still think he takes Jay yeah. Ivey. 
And the Knicks are not losers, but it's worth mentioning here because that's been the chatter. People are mad at the Knicks. So you yeah. walk away with like a pick. They stack some picks. They clear some cap space. I'm a draft romantic. I am. That said, there's multiple ways to build and improve your roster. The Knicks are going a different direction for it. That doesn't mean they lost the draft because they didn't come home with whoever they were supposed to take at at 11 or what have you. Like that, it's okay. Like you don't have to have picks every year in order for this to work. They want to go sign somebody in free agency for a hundred million dollars. Yeah, you need to get some stuff off the books so coming into the draft if you would have told me that they could have gotten three first round picks for the number 11 overall pick do it take it do it Go. Blindly, blindly say do it Run. If, if for whatever reason one of our top three guys slips down there maybe but if that happens something is very wrong so on paper on surface oh. level take the three picks punt on this one in a draft that some weren't as high on maybe they were maybe they weren't maybe they just thought the value for getting three picks instead of taking one that they were lukewarm on, it was better off that they walked with. Well, and for the Knicks particularly, it's better off for them because they have a real ability to package all of these things being in a major market. People do want to go play for the Knicks. They're going to be able to package all of these picks moving forward for a potential star. And I think that's what they're trying to do at the end of the day. They're trying to create a cache of assets that will put them in the mix. Now, I didn't like the second set of trades they made at number 13. Uh, I I think that using four second round picks essentially to get off of Kemba Walker and what I think is a little bit of like first round draft capital, not in terms of picks, but in terms of like potentially sliding down and not getting as valuable of a pick. I think that's a large price to pay and I don't love it to be Mm. honest. Um, But at the end of the day, like picking up two extra first round picks for number 11 trounce or like way, way overvalues, you know, giving up four second round picks at the end of the day, I think. So yeah, yeah, like not losers take that. And they do, they do get off of the Kemba Walker deal, which is something they seem set to do. I don't know if I love the whole big picture of what they're trying to do, but I get it at least is what I would say. I do too. Okay. Um, you want to talk about draft pathways? I do. I do. Give me some, give me some tips. I'll, I'll, I'll start the pathway. So there's, there's different strokes for different folks. There's different ways you can do this. Uh, most notably overtime elite, the G League Ignite in college basketball. I'm just going to set aside Euro League right now for, for the time being. So for overtime elite, they had no guys drafted, right? Which I, I feel is sort of unfair. I never saw it with John Montero. I went down to overtime when he was slotted of the 20s. I left saying, I don't think he's a first-round pick. I didn't think like undrafted. I thought 40s or 50s at best. I like Don Barlow in the 50s. He goes undrafted, so it's not like this huge swing really. But they're much better a year from now with the Thompson Twins, with Jason Gortman, than more talent in 24 and 25. This is year one. It was a work in progress. So people that are just punting on it, that's that's really not a fair thing to do. For the G League Ignite, some people said it was a loss because Jaden Hardy slipped. I thought it was a win with two first-rounders and Dyson Daniels and Marshawn Beauchamp. You're a year away from Scoot Henderson being a presumably top-three pick. So you've had three lottery guys in two years in Jalen Green, Jonathan Kaminga, Dyson Daniels. Another one in Scoot Henderson. Uh, never going to be perfect. Guys slide and rise all the time. 
But for me, like, isn't that a success of what they've done? They're not going to have like the top high school guys that just go. You have four guys really invested, and they go two, seven, uh, eleven, and fourteen every year. Yeah, I think that this year was a much bigger success for them than last year, and really? the reason for that is Dyson Daniels. We had as what, like you know, something like fifteen coming into the year. He yeah, goes eight. Outrage. He has yeah. a great year. They had their biggest success story like in their two-year history this year with Marshawn Beauchamp mm. or Beauchamp. Like undeniably a guy that is an enormous success story. He came from fucking Yakima Community College after being like a four-star recruit because he decided to go train uh, in the Bay Area and that didn't really work out. Uh, in the way he was hoping. And then he goes home to Washington, plays at Yakima Community College, and Rod Strickland like basically spots him when uh, Marjan was being repped by Mike Miller. And Mike was like, yeah, you need to come out and check out this kid, right? And you know, Rod Strickland comes out and says, yeah, Ignite, let's do this. That's great. And this kid becomes a first-round pick? Yeah. That's an amazing story. Like that is a that is the development pathway success story that I think the G league ignite needed. Like they needed someone like, you know, Isaiah Todd to jump into being a first round pick. They needed someone like Michael Foster, like, you know, I know Dacian Nix fell last year, obviously, but like they, they needed someone like this essentially to point to, to say our program is getting kids better. We are developing kids, not just, you know, guiding them through their post high school year. Like really all they had to do with Jalen Green and Jonathan Kaminga, right? That's that's really all they had to do last year. I know that Jaden Hardy fell. I, I get that and I get that there's consternation over that. Um yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I, I think this th- this year is a real proof of concept for them. And honestly, I really wonder if if they don't have the success that they had this year with Dyson Daniels and Marjan Beauchamp, do they get Leonard Miller? Do they get, you know, some of these other guys? I don't know, but I think this, I think the ignite this year should be very proud of what they were able to accomplish is what I would say. Likewise. And there's, there's real proof of concept. Like you said, it's not just the guys who are ranked in the top 10 of high school come here for a year. They're drafted in the top 10. They actually bumped the guy up to the first round. If you told me Marshawn was going to be a first round pick as a, a one and done out a year ago, two years ago, I'd say you're crazy. Like I, I kind yeah. of forgot about him. I, I knew he was doing the training thing. I didn't know the junior college thing until he went to the ignite. I said, well, where has he been the last year? Went back and, and those highlights are comical. If, if you want to dig back in the archives of, of him playing, and playing there, uh, just doing whatever he wanted. So uh, uh, congrats to him. Congrats to Ignite. But the biggest congratulations, I think, are in order to college basketball. And my guy, Eric Bossy over at 24-7 Sports, wrote an article on this. Here's why. 12 of the 14 lottery picks, yes, I'm counting Shaden Sharp, played in college. The exceptions are Dyson Daniels and Usman Jang. 26 of 30 in the first round, played in college. 14 of those 26 were multiple-year college guys. Name, image, and likeness helps. Playing a football stadium on national television in front of millions of people in the Final Four helps. All the critics saying college sports and basketball are crippled because of players getting paid. 
doesn't seem to be the case. This was like as much of a banner year for college basketball in the draft that I can really remember since yeah. uh, the the influx of of international players and the one and done thing coming into existence. Multi year college guys going, producing, getting better, and then getting drafted. The name's called on draft night. Yeah, look, I I get what you're saying, and I think it's good that this happened. I just think it's cyclical at the end of the day. Could like, be. I do. But it's like, but it's not like next year is going to be we have the Thompson twins. We have Scoot Henderson. Leonard Miller is probably going to be a first round pick. Mm-hmm. Um, we have Victor Wembanyama. We have a really good international class that I think should be expected to, you know, put four or five first rounders in. Like, we're not going to get as much of that. This year or next year, I guess, is what I'm saying. And our reaction to that shouldn't be, oh, college basketball is dying or whatever, <laughs> whatever people great. will say next year. Well, right. Well, like, because that's, like, that's, that's what will happen. will have though. 26 people and that'll be 14. So, graph will just be like down, like, oh, what happened to college basketball during the recession? Is like, it relax. dead? Yeah. Did <laughs> NIL year, help anything? Then next year will be 20. It'll go back up. Some people will form more collectives for their teams and programs and, and we'll poke holes at it. So yes, it's cyclical. Everything's cyclical. Are we going to have three big men drafted one, two, three in any draft going forward? I don't know, but, but it happened this year. So college basketball, take your wins. We can get it. And this was a, an easy one to, to say it was a victory. All right. Favorite second round picks. Let's just kind of rapid fire through a few things at the end here. Uh, first one is EJ Liddell, 41 to New Orleans Pelicans. But the one I want to expand on here, I love Ryan Rollins, 44th to Golden State. Sometimes second round stuff works. And the Warriors have already said, Bob Myers has said publicly that they slotted Ryan Rollins as part of their 15 men roster. Like they love them. They had him significantly higher. They couldn't believe he fell down as much as he could. The, that kind of scoring and creation from a, a combo. Uh, in that system with the pieces that are around him, I, I really, really liked. Uh, I had him significantly higher. I had him. I knew he wasn't going to be a first round pick, but still, my first round board grade, I had him like yeah, 24, yeah. 24th overall. So I love the pairing between those two. Yeah, I had him at 31, 32, something like that. I had him much higher than where they took him. I, I really like Ryan Rollins. I love his creativity, I love his ability to get his own shot, uh, his finishing around the basket, his length. Uh, his mid-range game is very high level. You just need to shoot threes, and there's nowhere that's going to do a better job of teaching that, I would imagine, uh, than the Golden State Warriors. The E.J. Liddell thing was weird. I had gotten some indication in the 12 hours before the draft started that there was a bit of a worry from the Liddell camp that like they, they weren't sure how this was going to go. You know what I mean? Um, everyone had a mox as a first, but they weren't like they weren't like a hundred percent there. And I ended up moving EJ down to twenty seven. I'd been told like Miami, you know, had, he did like him, but like whether or not you know they would take him was like totally up in the air. Um, but I'd kind of heard that like that could be a thing that like his name was falling a little bit. And that is surprise. I was surprised by that. I was surprised by how that worked out on draft day. If only because he is versatile. He is a guy who defends at a reasonable level. And uh, he shot well this year at the very least on top of being an all American. Like 
I, I've never been quite as high as like the consensus community on EJ where they had him as like a lottery pick throughout the year. I never had him, I think, as a top 20 guy like at any point period. So I, I was never there, but I was also surprised that he ended up falling out of the top 35 even. Yeah, I had him 21st, so a, a big dip for me. So then who is your second-round guy that you liked, either fit or player? Oh, I love Jaden Hardy to uh, Dallas. Like, Look, he was the highest-ranked player on my board. He was the only guy in the top 20 for me that didn't go in the first round. Um, yeah, I mean, Jaden Hardy going 37 to go play with Luka Doncic, be like you know, a second-side scorer, and hopefully, you know, learning to become a little bit more unselfish because I think everyone in Dallas, when you're playing next to Luca, has to have a level of unselfishness, right? Um, I think it's a good developmental spot for him, and we'll see what we'll see if it works. Like Dallas, I think was probably ecstatic. Like I had heard pre-draft that like Jaden Hardy was very high on Dallas's board at 26 if they didn't move 26 in the Christian Wood trade. Yeah, that second side score, I'm just looking to confirm. It's sort of what they wanted out of Tyrell Terry, and it didn't work out. But to kind of have that guy yeah. off the ball to, to score and take some of that pressure off of Luka, uh, yeah, th- that's not a bad one. The, the well, other- and on top of it, we, we don't know what is going to happen here with Jalen Brunson in the next week. Uh, it's going to so be expensive to, regardless of, of what happens. To get some insurance for if Jalen Brunson – leaves i think is you know Jaden hardy's not gonna be able to step in this year and play but i think that some longer term insurance for jalen brunson is valuable and the the other one that i thought of after the fact after the draft show that we did was the guys that are sort of our real pre-draft upside swingy players pat baldwin jr ends up with the warriors peyton watson was traded ends up with denver correct max christie with the lakers any of those guys stand out that like, ooh, that one might actually work there. Keep going. We know who you want to get to. Oh, I already said Josh Minor on the wrong team. So he's on Minnesota. Uh, is that who I'm supposed to get to? <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. We, well, we John Hollinger stole my line. He, he he did the Robin Williams son of a stole my line when you guys did the the article on who to yeah, yeah, yeah. who picked. He picked mine on like fourteen times in a row. So yeah. I feel like I'm I'm not the conductor. Like I'm still on the train. But of those of that grouping there, you can even say Bryce McGowan's too. Were any that yeah the Patrick Baldwin Jr. screams to me that that might work. And any insight on those from you? That's the most interesting one to me is Pat Baldwin. I don't know what to make of that and. I didn't like Pat Baldwin's tape at all this year. I did not think it was very good. I was worried particularly on defense about his ability to stay in front of like guards. Uh, I thought that the Horizon League guards that he played this year burned him pretty badly. Mm-hmm. But you know what? Like, can you imagine a better fit than Golden State? He is he is gonna shoot. Like, I don't care that he shot twenty six percent from mm-hmm. three this year. He's gonna shoot it. Like th- those mechanics are too good. He shoots it too well off of movement. His balance is too good. It, he's going to make shots. He's like, a, he's center sized. He's like nine, two and a half. I don't think he's Kevon Looney in terms of like being able to like be, change his game. Cause for people who Not remember enough, high school yeah. Kevon Looney, like high school Kevon Looney was like a point forward that like, Brought the ball up and down the court like in Milwaukee and did like all kinds of definitely like a stuff. bruising 
three point forward where you knew like this yeah. is never going to work in the NBA. So he did a good job in altering and shaping his game to what was needed and now played every single game this past season and is an NBA champion. Uh, I don't yeah. think that Pat Baldwin Jr. necessarily has that body, but there's going to be some altering and shifting for him to get on the court. Right. And he's not going to become Kevon Looney in terms of just like being tough and being physical and like doing that. But Golden State has now proven that they are able to mold players around this core to fill boxes that they need. And I think that that is one of the best potential outcomes for Pat Baldwin at the end of the day. I really think it is. I think that this is a terrific this is as good of a landing spot that Pat Baldwin could have gotten point blank. And, and I'm really happy that he got it. I am too. And, and and like a lot of these guys, we're we want them to figure it out. We're not telling them for, to not totally, figure it out. Yeah. But for a, a team and a player that like sort of like Golden State just won a championship. They don't need anybody right now, right? They have three lottery picks on their bench, not playing in James Wiseman, Moses Moody, and Jonathan Kaminga. But if this guy can push him over the edge and you take a flyer on him that a kid who was ranked in the top 10 of his high school class, we mocked in the top 10 to start the season. If he gets his mojo back and can be in these little spurts and those spurts extend into longer runs, it's uh, it could be worth it. 20th overall. They can afford to take that swing more so than other teams can. Yeah, totally. Uh, do you have any of them that you want to talk about in that mix? No, that was kind of like my uh, my grouping there. I, I liked I like it's it's yeah. The Golden State Warriors win the championship and add two picks from twenty eight to forty four that that I really like. Uh, I like yeah. those ones. I, I laughed when Isaiah Mobley ended up being on the Cavs with uh, with his brother. It's like oh, that's uh, it's like we're we're running the play same playback. But everything that I heard about him is that he was you you were a big fan throughout the year. He said you yeah. probably end up getting drafted somewhere. I think had him in the fifties. Uh, so maybe Adam, if I had him at 40. Oh, much, uh, yeah. much higher than I did. So I don't know if that's just yeah. like a, a breather off the bench for Mobley to Mobley or, or what we got to do there. If it's the Bucks move with adding all the Antetokounmpo brothers, but it, it did uh, raise my eyebrows when I was like, oh, great. Here we go. We're, we're putting them together now. Yeah, I love it. Uh, okay. I don't know. I think that's it. That's uh, This is our and the end of the 2022 draft cycle. This is the last one. Like, we're, yeah. we're not doing any more 2022 draft cycle stuff. It's Is weird. It? I can I can close the the Google Doc and my uh, my closing argument, Your Honor, for this draft class, and uh, I like to bring it back afterwards. And then when I open my eyes the day after the draft, I can actually uh, digest information and videos and clips of the drafts. I love the raw emotion. Uh, Marshawn Beauchamp crying when he was drafted, then he's on stage. Jalen Williams, Jay Will from Arkansas, had a draft party and had a bunch of his family and friends. Gets emotional. He thanked them for supporting him. Jaden Ivey at his press conference with Detroit was presented with jerseys of three family members that played high school, college, or pro sports in Detroit. So we can pick holes in guys' games, and I, I feel we're generally overwhelmingly positive. But nights like the draft, I, I'm rooting for everyone's success. It's reaching a, a lifelong dream, and the emotion is sometimes hard to hide. And now the NBA is big business and no one cares about your previous reputation. You're fighting for your spot. You're fighting to get meaningful minutes, celebrate it, enjoy it. And these guys, the real world world and work starts now, but I'm, I'm happy that they got to this point. Yeah, totally. And I'm totally with Matt on this. Like I am ecstatic for all of these kids that got drafted. Uh, one thing we've talked about throughout the year is that this class, maybe not the best class in the world. 
I kind of made a case in my wrap up thing at the athletic. Maybe this class is a little bit better than what we think it is purely on the basis that the guys who were drafted fit the absolute direction of where the NBA is going. There were no guards under six foot three drafted uh, in this first round, like no, yeah. or no, maybe well, no, 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 no. Yeah. None. Yeah. Cause well, Ty Ty's, yes, I think yes. six, three, that, but yeah. Kennedy, Kennedy yeah. didn't go in the first round. 38. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, no small guards went really only Mark Williams and Walker Kessler went uh, as true big plotting, you know, centers, rim runners, you know, et cetera, limited guys. Right. It's a lot of versatility, a lot of wings, a lot of, a lot of guys that fit the paradigm of where the league is going now. A lot of versatility, a lot of switchability, a lot of, um, st- a lot of guys that really uh, it's not trying to fit square pegs into round holes anymore in the NBA where teams draft strategy maybe wouldn't match their, uh, you know, what their coaches were trying to do on the court. Right. I wonder if there's a world where we look back at this draft now and we see that because teams have gotten smarter at looking at who they should be evaluating, Maybe there won't be as many all-stars, but maybe this will end up being a bit deeper of a draft than maybe what we said at the time. Good depth. And and now it's like you, know, you, you can hear the the Green Day time for life starting as we, we talk so eloquently about how we like this process. We talked about the race for number one starting in November on Paolo, Chet, and Jabari, and it came down to the last second. Like, how amazing is that, too? And, yeah. and three three guys that we've all advocated for for what their strengths are. A lot of guys in the lottery, I, I feel the same way. A lot of younger guys that now that they're with a franchise, they can develop and you can't hide in the Big Ten and you're going to have to be exposed and see if you can guard in space and you're going to get yanked if you don't defend. Like if you're hitting some mid-range jumpers, a three here and there, you have to defend. You see that on NBA floors. You see it on NBA playoffs, guys that are hunted, that can't move their feet, that can't switch. So there's a, a heavy dose of reality coming, but I, I ended up liking this draft more than I thought I would too, uh, say in like December. Yeah, no, I, uh, I agree. I think a little bit, I, I'm still a little bit questionable on it, but I do wonder if there's just like that pathway where we could look back and say like, this is the reason that people got this wrong. It's because people have gotten better. Evaluate has gotten better at finding the intersection of size, skill, passing ability, you know, defensive switchability, versatility, etc. Uh, okay, this is it, Matt. Twenty twenty two is done. Let's get moving. Let's let, let's do some more. Man, wild. <laughs> kind of hard to believe. Oh man. So, real quick before we get out of here, thank you to everyone who listened to the show this year. It's by far oh gosh, the biggest yeah. year for the show. Um, like laughable numbers uh, so far. Like. The draft show, the live draft show was super successful based on what we were hoping for. And then on top of it, um, all the stuff before then has been so, so successful. And it's largely because of the listeners of the show. And that's you guys. And thank you, thank you, thank you so much for listening, for putting up with our bullshit, for uh, (laughs) just all of it. We just have so, so much fun doing the show. So thank you all for that. Um, Matt, anything? And especially... uh... Is it everyone needs a smile? Whoever it is, everyone needs a smile. I'm shouting oh out that God. person. 
because yeah. they thumbnail, they clip out like how long we talk about each prospect and player. And at the end of the draft, the person who does that wrote and said, Hey, I'm taking a break. And our new producers are like, that guy can't guy or girl, whoever's can't go away. Like <laughs> that's like the best part of the YouTube channel. I'll log on there. So thank you to you, whoever is that does that. Uh, thank you to the person who is yelling, I guess, the YouTube comments that we didn't do the second round. <laughs> Our idea was we we're going to do a lottery or, or through 20 picks. And we're like, ah, we're kind of rolling. And it seems like a yeah, lot of people are watching. Here, so, so we kept going. Uh, same thing Sam said. Can't can't say thank you enough. Uh, the online comments, the people I saw out at the Dwindling Prep School event this weekend said, hey, we love you guys. We watched the show. I was surprised how many people actually like watched the show on their laptop while yeah. watching the draft. I thought it was really cool. Uh, meant a lot to me. Sure, meant a lot to Sam. So thank you guys. It does. Yeah, no, it really, really does. Um, before we get out of here, movies. Movies. All right. Uh, I didn't wa- what have I, you watched? Look, Combo Pack. So I caught up on four episodes of The Boys, season four here on Amazon Prime. So I feel good about yeah. that. Enjoying My wife and I are catching up on season two right now. Yeah. I, I It's it's fun. I, I don't know. It, there's like just something that like I can't quite connect with. with sure, but I, I enjoy yeah. now the satire and the the carryover yeah. into real life, and as we get crazier in the world that we live in now. I also did not know this that uh, I'm a fan of Below Deck, as I've talked about on this program in the past. <laughs> there was a season I missed this last year, oh, and it was wow. Below Deck Down Under. So we were in Australia. I feel like we were hanging out. So my wife and I have watched maybe four episodes of that. Uh, my son convinced himself this week that Christmas was on Tuesday. So we woke up at 530 in the morning. We had a beach day today. He thought the beach day was all week. Long story short, I've watched a lot of Disney movies. We have covered Toy Story 1, 2, and 3 this week. That's the only actual real movie that I've watched. How, how did Avery react to the first three Toy Stories? Uh, he gets so set in his ways that he wants to watch the same thing over and over again, but he's in, he's, he's really in. Okay. Good. Like two ended. He's like, is there another one? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. run it back. Yeah, we'll run three. We, we so I think he watched three back to back today after we got home, which is good. <laughs> train, train it up. Right. Watch it again. Again. It's like oh, miracle. They're God. skating just except they're watching Disney. More importantly, your show, you're back. The, the brain is back in Vicini land. What movies were you able to consume post draft? So watched Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, mm-hmm. uh, the Nick Cage movie. Finally, how's that? You're, you're Nick Cage. It's fun. you're close to top I mean, fan club. Yeah, I like Nick Cage a lot. It's fun. It's really fun. But it's not as fun because of Nick Cage. It's fun because Pedro Pascal is like one of our great working actors. Uh, <laughs> he's just so capable of doing everything like he's fucking funny he he does that like weird sense of like mirth and like he has that like knowing grin on his face like the whole time and he looks like he's just having an absolute blast doing everything but then like also he can play the mandalorian and be like super serious and everything Mm -hmm. like that um yeah pedro pascal is the best and we need to get pedro pascal in as many creative movies as possible uh then I watched Monstrous with Christina Ricci, which is like this weird thriller horror movie. Look, Laura and I like these like VOD thriller horror movies. What platform? Uh, sometimes they hit, sometimes they don't. What What did you say? What platform was it on? You saw it in the theaters. Uh, we rented it on Amazon Prime. I think. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Um, 
it was the first hour was not great. Then like the last 20 minutes, we were like, oh, you know, maybe <laughs> not, as, not, not as bad as me contemplating walking out of Jurassic Kingdom. No. Yeah. Not that bad. Uh, and then the last thing we watched last night was cha-cha real smooth, which is on Apple TV, uh, like the Apple TV platform. So like how you watch Ted Lasso, like you yeah. subscribe to their platform as opposed to just like the Apple TV. Um, it has Cooper Rafe and Dakota Johnson. Cooper Rafe wrote and directed it as well. Uh, it is almost a perfect movie. It okay. is. I'm seeing 86% of Rotten Tomatoes. So there's, there's a lot of people in your camp. Yeah. It is genuinely one of my favorite movies I've seen. Like one of my 15 or so favorite movies I've seen in the last five years. Wow. Heavy praise. Yeah. Uh, It is so fun. It's like very big hearted while also having like this real genuine understanding of, you know, people under 30, which I'm no longer under 30, but I'm close enough still uh, to be able to identify with this. And plus like, look, it's set in present day, but like to me, it strikes me more as like, what my college years looked like as opposed to like what I assume current college looks like. But then again, Cooper Rafe is like 25. So who am I to say this? Um, The dude is just so likable. It's, it's like watching Tom Cruise, like in risky business or cocktail Mm. where you just go, Oh no, like that's a guy. Like that's, that's the next guy. Like you can just see it. Like, my like we were like we turned on the movie and within 10 minutes my wife was just like oh my god this guy is unbelievably likable it's like like a like a poor man's miles teller different than miles teller for sure (laughs) way different than just the the uh all the the positive feedback for him from top gun i love that you use the cocktail reference because that that's not a great movie but it's 20 minutes of like cinematic masterpiece in there with cocktails yeah. and dreams if, if you catch it at the right time totally yeah 100 percent. um but yeah like what that guy does next i will watch like i am wholeheartedly whatever it is 100 percent in on cooper rafe at this point uh and dakota johnson's in this movie dakota johnson rules uh she is quickly becoming one of the better actresses in Hollywood. I think Uh, it's funny. It's yeah. I loved it. I absolutely adored it. You should watch it. That's beautiful. I I can, I can now actually add to list. It's been weird this week knowing that uh, I don't really have to watch draft film yet. Right. It's like, I don't don't really have to dig into Victor Wimbayama's strength and weaknesses and Scoot Henderson jump. We're not there yet. So it's, it's a nice sort of refresh reset too. It is. Okay, Penny, tell the people where they can find you. Find me in the gym. I have four events the next seven weeks. Uh, outside of that, I will be on Twitter, <laughs> Matt underscore Penny. Uh, I'll come back up for air, come back to for life eventually, but uh, I'll probably go dark here for a couple weeks too. Yeah, I was going to say, when is the next time we're doing this? Because we'll probably do summer league at some point. Um, I mean, we're we're working around your schedule at this point with uh, <laughs> yeah, the live it might be period. It might be a tag team partner with the uh, – july live period because it literally like overlaps like our event ends right. summer league had already started so that might be a tag in but uh yeah we'll be back we'll get here eventually <laughs> we'll figure it out okay this has been the game theory podcast please remember rate review subscribe do everything you can to support the show we will be back uh later this week 
probably with an off-season preview. And then on Friday, I will try to figure out what we're going to do for uh, free agency for the NBA. I haven't totally made that call yet on what that's going to look like. But uh, I now have time to try and figure it out. So uh, until next time, we'll talk soon. Bye.